Welcome to Bound by Books, a podcast of authors talking all things writing and romance. And today we have a fun one because we are going into the many heroes of Henry. And I'm joined today by Marianne Maria. Hi, Marianne. Hi. 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 How are you? I'm good. Yes. I'm good. <laughs> We are talking about the many faces of Henry Cavill, like Cavalcade. Cavill. <laughs> <Yeah>, anyway, <laughs> you know, much love, Henry. We're not trying to massacre your name, <laughs> but um, we're not actually talking about him as just the actor. This isn't a gush fest about him, um, well, as be. you know. Well, it can be, and it probably will be a certain time, but that's not the main thrust of, of what we're talking about. We're talking about hero archetypes. Yeah, in exactly. in in the in in the world of the creatives, which uh, everybody who's watching usually is. Yeah. So the first archetype that I wanted to talk about was the stoic, grumpy hero, because I just released a book, Aliens Mate, in which I have a stoic, grumpy hero. I'm also quite partial to them, and I think it will lead very nicely into our conversation about. The Witcher, in which we find a stoic, grumpy hero. But the reason why I love them so much is I think because it takes a certain spunky heroine to break through their walls and to, you know, get to the heart of them. And they're usually like yep. mushes underneath. So do you have any of your stoic, grumpy heroes? Um, yes, I have stoic, grumpy heroes. Um, maybe not grumpy, but just... Um not sure whether or not they are deserving of love and and the 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 world has and the the supernatural world has uh has uh either jaded them or Mm -hmm. made them feel unworthy or that they just are because of their situation in the supernatural world just don't deserve happiness so they're going to be you know grumpus among us (laughs) you know (laughs) because they're just from the um well, I mean, out of uh, out of all of out of not out of all of this, plenty of them. But the most recent one um, that that kind of touched my heart was Aiden mm-hmm. um, Durant, and he is my um, the alpha of the Sentinel Brotherhood in the Demon Hunter's Wolf, and he he's got the you know his father was the alpha and you know when he died you know everything everything passed to his shoulders and he's got a a, you know kind of a wayward brother who likes to do things on his own and they've got all these demons that are coming at them and they don't know who's summoning them and they're attacking the sentinels and then you know starting to attack you know humankind as well so they really have to rally and you know and he's a little bit grumpy -er (laughs) than usual because He's got to rely on dun 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 the spunky gal who just happens <laughs> to be you know the demon hunter and and then it's not just her it's a whole coven of you know strong you know women with all different kinds of powers and skills that some know about and some don't know about it's a devolution for right. them all that these that these these wolves these you know these very, very patriarchal wolves have to understand that they can't get the job done without the gals so <laughs> i find know, that yeah. that's true too because you mentioned that he's an alpha and i find um with mine he's also you know he's not the uh he's not the commander but he's further up in the hierarchy and obviously has a lot of responsibilities and i do find with these particular types of heroes that they have something that weighs them down and almost makes them a little bit vulnerable for all of their alphaness and for all of their responsibility that they have on their shoulders. That's kind of what makes them build up these walls. And then underneath that, there is this layer of 
almost uncertainty, vulnerability, a little bit insecurity, maybe even of, am I yep. good enough? Am I, am I enough for what weighs me down? Do you find that? Yep. In my, in my case, um, whether it's the, you know, the, an alpha who, you know, isn't sure whether or not they have the ability to take on the responsibilities or they've had the responsibilities for so long that now, you know, they're, it, it's like all consuming and they mm-hmm. don't, they don't know if they even have the time or the inclination for the love that's knocking on the door right. or my vampires that have been turned and they're not even sure if they still have a soul or that, that, you know, or if they have it in them to be able to, to have this love relationship because of, of all the different impolitic cruelties that are just so entrenched in vampire in the, in, in my vampire culture in my vampire world you know mm-hmm. it's just you know some some of them want to hold on to the shreds of their humanity you know tight-fisted and white-knuckled you know they don't want to let that go so you know having this having making allowing themselves to be vulnerable enough to open themselves up to uh, to a, a love you know a situation love a love possible love situation you know will it let, will they, will they be able to hold on or is it, is that going to push them over the edge where they become more predator than, you know, than they, than they already are, you know? And of course, then there are the other ones that just don't give a damn. They're just, you know, they're the, they're the, they're the, they're the, the, you know, the pinnacle, the apex of the supernatural world and everybody else needs to bow down to them. So there's, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different dynamics playing, um, you know, against my alphas usually. So I feel like we get that too. We get a very similar feeling in, in Henry and playing Geralt in the Witcher, right? Because there is that, idea that especially in the first season where he sees himself as a monster or that he could be a monster even though that he's the one that's supposed to be hunting these monsters there is this like parallel between him and the monster almost as if the monsters are like mirrors or reflections of him right Um, and you see that struggle happen and then by the time we get Yennefer coming along and the possibility of this love even though obviously the story is not romance. Like we write, there is this romantic element to it. There's almost like a sense of doubt with both characters. Like it, like, for example, even though spoiler alert, um, it has to be this spell. It's almost like the spell is the excuse, right? That neither Mm -hmm. of them are, I think are really feeling like they're deserving of a loving relationship. And so it's a very easy excuse to be like, well, it's the spell that made us feel this way. So now obviously this isn't real. The other thing is that, you know, the dynamic between the heroine and the hero and, you know, the, 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 you know, the hero archetype and then, and then his, his opposite, but equal in Yennefer, you know, she, she, she craves power. So a lot mm-hmm. of some of the shit she does is just be, is just completely messed up because she wants power. Right. And it's like, he, she's also a mirror for him because, you know, he doesn't, he, he's, he's seen what he's seen, what, what that has done in the past. And he's trying to tell, trying to teach her and she doesn't want any part of it mm-hmm. um, until they, till they have that moment of vulnerability where they let each other in. And then, like you said, then that then it's that spell, and they're like, you know, well, well, you know, we don't belong together, and blah blah blah, you know. And so, of course, they split off, and of course, now we have to wait to see what happens in season <laughs> three. So, and it was, I think, it's the same thing when when he, you know, when he played Charles Brandon, mm-hmm. who was the foil to Henry Tudor in some ways. Um, we discussed it when when Henry played. Um, played this role in the in the the Tudor series um 
you know, we, we discussed that, you know, Henry VIII was just this whirling dervish of power and, and charisma and enigmatic, you know, enigmatic personality that, you know, blew through core, like a, like a, a hurricane. And it was nothing but, you know, this, 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 I don't know. A, like a huge personality, a huge yeah. amount of power. And, and obviously what happens when power corrupts. And then yep. you had this, this young man who is his foil, who we were talking about goes through this very, big arc in the series of being a much more cavalier, lighthearted ladies man to eventually being married um, and much more jaded. Although he does end up with his mistress, he, I do believe in that whole arc. Settled. Yeah. And learns what love actually is. And then he dies. And then dies. Yeah. Which, which is, you know, which is heavy in and of itself, but really shows the, the depth on range that you can have with a hero, right? Uh, right. That the hit is- doesn't have to. I was going to say it doesn't have to be that 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 whirling dervish of power. Mm-hmm. You know, always. Mm-hmm. The whirling dervish of power is boring if it doesn't have a deeper level to it, right? Right. Because if you if it's just you know a, a really strong, even if it's on on the quote unquote good side, if it's just a really strong character with no layers of vulnerability to them or no emotional depth to them, then it's just a really strong character. And yeah, we might admire them and think, you know, that they're attractive, but it doesn't make the same connection, I think, as a, a vulnerable or emotional hero does. No, you're right. And, and in that's in that scenario, you know, Henry VIII had his demons that were, that aided him and made him paranoid and so forth. And, and Henry, Hen, Hen, you know, and Charles Brandon's character, Henry C- uh, Cable's uh, character of Charles Brandon, um, he had gone through all of those levels in the past. And then when he was married to Henry's sister, um, and then she died, I think it was, a, it was almost like a wake up call to him, which allowed him to be a little bit more, um, centered and a little bit more grounded in and and also where when he di- when he ended up dying of the sweat that Henry the eighth realized that he was his touchstone and this is what you know you and I they you know the 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 breadth of the, the breadth of character evolution that you mm-hmm. can have in the different shades of 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 gray in that that make up our heroes as we write Right. You know, um, we were talking that, a, you know, a hero architect can be multi- multifaceted, both within a genre and across the genre. And it's those nuances that we weave as we write that make our characters either characters we love to hate or characters we love to love. And when something happens to them or they have a breakthrough, we it's almost like we viscerally feel it as readers, yeah. Yeah. you know, at and least, think- so, you know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. I was having like a little choking fit before. (laughs) So if you were watching on YouTube, I apologize for that. Um, But no, I was thinking it's very similar into how I feel about villains, right? A villain that is just out to be pure evil with no grounding motivation can be scary, but is ultimately boring to me. And I feel the same way about heroes, right? So if a hero is just all good or all powerful, and I am thinking of Superman in this instance. Um, I I get bored, and that's my biggest yeah. issue with Superman is that I feel like the the depth of vulnerability is not there. There's nothing 
um, pulling me to him to make me feel more attached to him because he's just so good, right? And a character that's just so good is the equivalent to me of a character that's just so evil. There has to be reasons and motivations behind it. Yeah. And it also, you know, Superman, where were you? You know, we, you know, as, as, as the building is collapsing on people, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I, I think it, um, it, it leaves a lack of expectation yeah. on the part of a reader and, and, and authors have to keep that, that, spark of wanting to be able to turn the page and find out what happens next well if he's always saving the day right then they know what's going to happen next whatever however way you wrap it however way you color it it's still basically at its core the same and this is where we come back to the nuances that we we know of character development character evolution and breadth of style that we have been talking about and I think with Superman, you know, it, it does in a certain extent get a pass because there is a, you know, comic element to that where the comic expectations are that we're going to save the day and, and this is going to be the way it is all the time. But I would say it gets a pass for its past, not for its present, because again, I'm a Marvel fan, so I make no secret of that. You can see how you can truly get depth of character out of stereotypical characters because if you kept those heroes as comic book heroes stereotypical standard archetypes of comic book heroes we would never have the marvel universe that we have today and the breadth of heroes that we have today and heroines so just when i think for writers out there when you're when you're thinking about crafting your hero you can craft them on a certain archetype right for example like I talked about, I crafted them on that stoic, grumpy archetype hero. But if they don't have depth and backstory, whether or not you go into that backstory in the book is irrelevant. You have to know it to be able to then craft a character that's going to be three-dimensional and that's going to have more um, essence to them than a cookie cutter character would have. Right. I mean, I, I early on in my career, um, I had some. I had a, an author who's been around much longer than me suggest that I pick up Joseph Campbell's. Um, I believe it's called the Many Faces of of, of Heroes, and yeah. uh, to read that book to help help you to determine and also to see those nuances and how mm-hmm. you craft. I mean, it's not a it's not a step one, step two, you know, step one, chisel jaw, step two, you know, broad right. shoulders. No, 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 no. This is this is this completely has to do with inner depth. Yep, you'll get you know, and, and hero t- of a thousand faces. Hero of a thousand faces. Yeah, that's, that's Joseph right. Campbell. Yeah, I would Joseph also Campbell. suggest um, uh, young for Jungian archetypes. Uh, there's there's problems with them, but just from an archetypal perspective, you get this Joseph Campbell and Young are definitely the ones that I would suggest for that. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and they are really helpful in seeing like different types of archetypes, specifically in literature, and then mm-hmm. how to craft out of them is the best way I could put yeah. it. Like using them as a template. I think about like baking a cake, right? So you have like your foundational recipe of the cake and everything's there and all of your ingredients. But the thing that makes you know great cake decorators great is they do the foundation really really well and then they design on top of it and create these incredible uh creations right that's kind of what you have to do as a writer you have this solid foundation of okay this is 
the archetype that I would like to have. But then what am I going to do on top of that? Or what am I going to do differently that's going to make them stand out and make my reader believe that this is a real person? One of the things that I, I remember I had, um, you know, because, you know, I write YA as well. Mm -hmm. um, and most of my most of my my uh, books have heroines rather than heroes. I mean, they have a hero in there, but he's second to the to to, to the gal. Um, is that, you know, um, the first book, Hollow's End, um, I had given it to uh, author Millie Taden for her niece, who was, I think, 13 or 14 at the time. And they were going on a trip to um, uh, Walt Disney World in Florida. And um, they were taking all of these private safari tours and so mm -hmm. forth. And the whole time she was sending me pictures of her niece, Angie, with her face in the book. And she's like, <laughs> we're in the middle of the, we're in, on the middle of a, of a private safari and she's still reading it. And then when the second book came out, which was Time Turner, it didn't get the same kind of response. And she always said, to, she said to me then, go back and see what you did and how, and the foundation that you built your, 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 your heroine, which, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, hero, heroine, same type of thing, mm -hmm. the same kind of analogy, which I love that you just did of building the cake. But, you know, what I did to make her so solid and then so vulnerable and so um, likable and, uh, uh, you know, for people to be able to, the, the things that were happening with her, whether they were supernatural, not resonated with people in their own lives and what they went through as teenagers and so forth. So I think that also comes into play too, is um, making, you know, you have your solid foundation, but you also have to build in that element of vulnerability. I think that's mm -hmm. why in a lot of the characters that Henry Cavill plays, we fall in love so much with him because not just the packaging, mm -hmm. but it's the, it's the vulnerability that shines through, you know, whether it's, you know, we, we paint it with words as authors, mm -hmm. you know, they do it with a glance, they do it with a yes. look, you know, oh, and, and my gosh, you just took that out of my brain. Cause I was just thinking about that as you're talking about it. I was like, there is that moment where Henry does this so beautifully as an actor where he's playing this, you know, essentially very powerful character. And he'll just do this thing with his eyes where he like kind of like does puppy dog eyes is how I describe it, where he like glances down and then glances to the side. And it's this huge, just like all the world is in his eyes. All of the emotions are there. And he, as you're describing that, I'm, I'm thinking of these moments that I've seen him do on screen. And it gets me every single time because it just yeah, shows cinematically depth to that yeah. character. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was talking about. And this the way that that an actor will bring that to the screen cinematically, <laughs> we as authors have to do it with with the with the with the written word. Exactly. You know, and have to, you know, and and it's you know, again it comes back to also show don't tell, you know, mm -hmm. because you know, the same way on the on the screen they're showing you that emotion without one look or that one one move, we have to show our readers the same way. You can't tell somebody that somebody's got the weight of the world on their shoulders. You have right. to show it, you know. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. And when we're talking about heroes, of course, because we're talking about Henry Cavill, but we certainly can talk about heroines as well. There is um, different archetypes, I think, sometimes for heroines and there are heroes. Like when we think of especially romance heroes, we think of the alpha, we think of the cinnamon roll, we think of the, the stoic one, we think of the shades of gray. Um, and then with our heroines, we often get like 
the shy type or the feisty one, you know, we have different different classifications, I think, for heroes and heroines. But the thing that I usually love seeing is when somebody like switches it up. When we get the we do have alpha um, heroines, so that's kind of a gender neutral, I would say, archetype. But when we get like the grumpy heroine, the stoic grumpy heroine, like nothing touches my heart more than than that or the the truly cinnamon roll heroine or we get the feisty hero because I love those like gender bending um, archetypes. We don't see them a lot, but when we do, I, and when an author does it really well, I think it can be a lot of fun and brilliant. So another thing to consider is just like, you don't have to stay in these more genderized roles. You can kind of switch it up and, and see what comes of it. Yep. I did that and tempt me, even though, even though I have a, you know, my, my heroine, my hero is, his name is Dash Collier and he's an alpha and he's, you know, sent to, you know, the, uh, the Red Veil, which is a vampire club in, in New York City that I've created. Um, he's pitted with Abigail, mm -hmm. Abigail Bigley, and she was turned, you know, in, in the, in the 1600s, like 1690 something or what have you. And um, she's a Badass bitch. I describe her as being um, with the elegance of Jackie Kennedy, but the, but a, but a, but an air of fuck with me and I'll eat you, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and she's very classy looking all the time. Um, but she has serious vulnerabilities that she is protecting mm -hmm. and that, you know, they they kind of feed off of each other, um, you know, in that. And, uh, you know, she, he ends up he ends up. Uh, cracking cracking the code to you know to to get in, in inside you know get get inside her heart so mm -hmm. to speak and you know it's funny because in the next book um they're the two of them are together and you move on to the next cut next couple and i had a one reader come back and say oh i think she lost her edge i'm like no she didn't she just polished it nice. you know she didn't you know she didn't nice. lose her edge she just polished it she still will tear your throat out of you know, as, as, you know sure as look at you if you do something to hurt people her you know hurt you know hers you know people mm -hmm. she loves and or 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 what have you but um you know she just is not as guarded anymore because she's been freed from that from that prison and i think a lot of times you know our our, our archetypes whether they be hero or heroine um they do have some kind of a of a of a self-imposed prison that they live in yeah. um and that has to that 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 gives them that that grumpiness you know that that yeah. that that's that a hard, great way to put it. hard edge you know self-imposed prison that's that's a yeah. i like that image that's a really good yeah. one to describe characters especially the ones that have that that hard and outer shell i have a yeah. similar thing in red alert my characters there are definitely um breaking some of those norms where we have you know a, a vampire who in traditionally like you know sometimes with vampires they're concerned about being vampires because they're going to hurt the humans or whatever but he has that a little bit he's he definitely has some shadows in his past but he's also like really cool with just being a vampire and kind of has that cavalier uh you know tutors uh henry attitude where he's like yeah I'm, this is kind of awesome also and where the heroine is just um, not taking any of his nonsense at all, not falling for his 
his good looks or his charm and just calling him out on all of his BS. So it's a lot of fun to, to have a dynamic where it's not necessarily the, the traditional one. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, at one point, she's, Abigail gets very frustrated and tempt me. And mm-hmm. she says, oh, Lord, love a dick. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, you know, one of those things. So anyway. That is very Henry and the Tudors also, as, as yeah. Charles Brandon. That is very, especially at the beginning of the series, that is very much like, he's so charming. And yet, you know, that he's just full of it. And partly because he's just, it's just youth at that time where he's just, you know, young and rich and, and second to, uh to the, to the, the king. king is he yeah he's king when they start i couldn't remember yeah, yeah. um and then you, again you just see him go on this journey of becoming uh you know a, a mature person and seeing the world for what it is instead of the through the rose-colored glasses i do love yep. those kinds of storylines too where it takes us to somebody's growth because i love to see that mm-hmm. in characters and i yep. think um I think romance is particularly good at that, at, at showing somebody, you know, who's maybe more closed off in the beginning and not open to love typically, and then suddenly grows through love and finds themselves more. I think that's one of the real strengths of the romance as a genre as a whole is showing us character growth and development. You know, and in the, you know, in the, in the last book of the Sentinel Brotherhood, because there's, you know, the wolf secret, witch, then there's the demon hunter's wolf, which I spoke to, spoke about before, but in the last one, which is never cry wolf, mm-hmm. you know, they've got a demon cornered, you know, mm-hmm. and they, you know, and he's, he's, he's awful at the very, be- you know, in the, in the, in the, in the second book. And then by the, by the third book, it's like, you know, you were talking about villains and therefore, mm-hmm. you know, being a four, you know, being the opposite side of the same coin of the hero. Mm-hmm you see the vulnerability in them too, that at one point you almost are rooting for the, for the villain to be absolved Mm -hmm. and for the hero to save them. And for the, you know, and and for, you know, for, for for everybody to come out of this better people, Mm -hmm. but at some point or another, you have to realize that you can't, you know, that they, even though they, even though they've, they've reached that point of where they realize their own insignificance and how small they are in the grand, in the grand scheme of things that they're, they're, quest for power and all the shitty things that they've done to 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 both supernatural and human world alike Mm -hmm. that there has to be some kind of payment for that and uh you know that you just can't just you know all of a sudden have a revelation and have it all be like oh that's okay you know (laughs) you know so what advice would you give um for writers listening about how to make their characters more impactful in terms of character development but also emotional depth like what would be your advice what i i don't know how to tell anybody else how to write because there isn't one one correct i mean other than the the actual mechanics of writing you know Mm -hmm. and making sure you're getting the words correct in the correct order um I wouldn't know what to say to them to that Mm -hmm. because everybody's experiences are different i know for me to make my own characters um you know, multi, multi nuanced Mm -hmm. is I pull from my own personal experience and my own personal growth and my own personal demons that I have had to overcome in my life. And I either weave that in or project that onto, or, or in, 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 in ways that I would think that you would want your characters 
You know, mm-hmm. I had so I had one reader say to me once that book boyfriends mm-hmm. are everything that we want our real men to be and more. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not just the like I said, the chiseled face and the broad shoulders or whatever. We're talking about the the way that they react to women, the way that they react to each other, the way that they react to the world in general. Mm-hmm. Not that they're perfect, not that they're Superman, right? But that they but that they have this level of growth yeah. and that you have to show that. it doesn't have to be in book one. Right. You know, it could be over the course of over the course of a series, you right. know, but just mm-hmm. you know, the only thing I would I would I would just recommend is don't make him so arrogant and so um swaggering that people it turns people off you right. have to show glimpses of that vulnerability from the get-go even yeah. if it's just an introspection you know and they need but their, the, have their emotional quotient needs to be high you need to have yes. a, a, a character especially with your male characters who have emotional intelligence especially in relation to um the females in the book the women in the book um and what about you what would you tell somebody i think I think drawing from your own experience is a really great way to get that emotional impact in there. And I think if you're a younger person who maybe you don't have as much experience and you're just starting out writing, I do think reading a ton, reading the things that you love, seeing what you love about them, what you don't like, consuming media in different forms is always a good way. So it's really about, I think, getting that experience any way you can, whether it's through your personal experience or through the the media and books that you consume and just kind of being a little analytical about it and saying, okay, why did this resonate with me so much? What did the author do here? What did the director do here? What did the actor do that made me feel this way? And that's why I think we're talking about um, Henry Cavill, not only because we enjoy the work that he's done, but because we, I think we both agree He's an attractive man, but he's also a brilliant actor. And watching yes. him on screen gives you that insight into, okay, why do I actually like this character he's playing? It's not just because, you know, right. Geralt is an awesome character, which he is, but it would be a very different character from a different actor. It's the way this actor is portraying the character on screen and the things that he does. Right. For example, like I said, that that look that he does, that just shows you this glimpse into this vulnerable side. And, and it's a, you know, a few seconds worth of film time, but it's so impactful to me that I still think about it. And I've seen him do it a few times um, in different things he's been in, but specifically in The Witcher, it was just so impactful. And it's more so than all of the awesome fight scenes, which are great. And I love seeing him in that element. And, you know, it's, it's very cool to watch, but it's the smaller moments, I think, that really make the difference. And that's what I would probably say to concentrate on. Where can you put in those small moments that are going to make your right. character three-dimensional and impactful for your reader? I mean, it can be introspection mm-hmm. of things that, that, that the character is thinking mm-hmm. or vice versa. If you're writing in third person, um, it could be observation from somebody watching the, the, the emotion on, on, on the, the hero's face and how it impacts them. Right. You know, so it doesn't always have to be something that's coming from the, the hero themselves. It could be something that, um, you know, a cohort or the, the love interest is witnessing and they could be shocked by it. You know, mm-hmm. they could be, you know, st- you know, that maybe it rocks them to the core that they could actually see 
these, you know, these little chinks in the armor, you know, right. and, you know, and the reason, you know, part of the reason why we picked Henry Cavill is not just because he's beautiful to look at, Which it's is. just because the, <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Um, but because of the, 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 the breadth of work that he has done, mm-hmm. you know, I could say the same thing about um, Kit Harrison who played Jon Snow in, in Game of Thrones, but I haven't seen him in anything other than Game of Thrones. So, yeah. you know, you know, it, 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 you know, you want somebody to, if you want somebody to, to kind of use as your guinea pig to deconstruct, you know, right. as, a, as, as a, you know, in all the different characters that they have portrayed, just like you would go into a, a book, you know, or, you know, find an author that you love and then read a bunch of different books from a bunch of different series and deconstruct those mm-hmm. books to see what resonated with you, not to copy. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm not saying plagiarize. I'm it's saying it's to, to, to understand what worked on you, because yep. if it works on you, chances are, if, if you tap into that, what, what worked on you, you will then have that come out in your own writing, exactly. you know, because you're tapping, you're tapping into your own emotion. You're not tapping into the emotion that the author themselves have put into the words. You're tapping into your own personal emotion that those words evoked. Mm-hmm. And that's what's, that's, what's important. That's the research that I would say to do. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just like, you know, some authors don't like to read in their own genre when they're um, active on a project, but will read voraciously in that (laughs) genre afterwards. I am one who always reads in my genre, but mostly because I've read so many in my genre at this point that would be probably impossible for me to copy because I would be an amalgamation of all of them. Um, There's just there's just too many books that I've consumed at this point, but it's, it's, I think it's important to know, not just for like, what are reader expectations and what are common tropes in the genre, but also for the nuances of like, why do I love this author so much? What, what are they doing for me that I can incorporate into my own work in a way that's true to my voice? Um, and I think that's, that's, you know, that's the highest form that we could achieve because then we are furthering our work and the genre that we're writing in by trying to become, you know, the things that we love and, and beyond. So yes, always be be mindful of plagiarism. You never want to get into a space where like you're, you're stealing somebody's words, but st- we study works of literature. I was an English major. That's what we do. We study classics because we want to see, you know, why are these so good? Why are they so important to who we are now? Um, and that's kind of right. the same thing when you're when you're mm. writing. I think you're a reader first and knowing the the essence of your genre is important. Yes, I agree. I think we've we've really covered this very well, <laughs> I think, today, <laughs> you know, I'm always amazed so. like where we're, we're going to start. I'm like, OK, we're going to talk about Henry and this is going to be fun and da, 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 da. And then I'm like, oh, wow, we got into some some good meat here. We got some juice on the bone. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't just a, you know, a gab sesh on, on, on Henry Cable. And, oh, isn't he gorgeous? You know, but, but, you know, giving props to him as a multifaceted, multifaced, nuanced um, actor, you know, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of what we, there's a lot of schlock out there, you know, there's a lot of crap out there where things are two dimensional and I, you know, stories are two dimensional and characters are two dimensional. And I think as far as what he brings 
to the silver screen in terms of um, um, depth and mm-hmm. breadth um, is what we aim for as authors to bring to the written word. Absolutely. So. And I could not think of a better spot to end than that because that was well said, Marianne. Yeah. All right, everybody. <laughs> so thank you for joining us on our adventure as we discovered um, not only Henry, but also emotional quotient high heroes and heroines. And we hope that you will join us next week and Monday, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as again, we are Bound by Books. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bound by Books podcast. For more information about the show and all of our hosts, visit our website at www.boundbybookspodcast.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.